Last week, if you, uh, if you missed last week, we're glad you're back today. Uh, if you missed last week, I want to catch you up kind of quickly. I know the sermon's online, uh, but I want to, uh, to, to uh, just kind of summarize last week's message because it ended with a question that we'll focus on uh, today. So last week, we started with a question. You don't have to answer the question this week, but I started with the question, how many of us would say uh, that we've, in the past we've had either seasons or maybe long, uh, long extended, extended periods of time where we've had seasons in our life where prayer was either difficult or frustrating or we maybe just not praying at all. And at all three services, 90 to 100 percent of the, uh, the, the congregation raised their hand. Right? And so I asked you, hey, keep your hand up and you know, just look around the room. This should be able to, to uh, hopefully you can kind of breathe easy knowing that other people who walk with the Lord as well have had seasons similar to you where maybe prayer was frustrating or just not praying at all. And again, at all three services, 90 to 100% of the members raised their hand and said, yes, I've absolutely had those seasons in my life. So we focused last week on God's promises. And the reason we can have these seasons of not praying or where prayer is difficult is because oftentimes we, we fall in one of three categories. We either have forgotten the prayers of God or the promises of God, we don't know the promises of God, or we don't believe the promises of God. And so I went through just a list of some of God's promises, that He is for us, that He hears us, He sings over us, delights in us, that He gives us, forgives us, He's faithful to us, He gives us eternal life. And these are just some of the promises from Scripture. And if I, if I know God's promises, then I simply want to pray back to Him His promises. And then we focused on Second Chronicles chapter 20, where Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, receives word that there's three armies that are rising up to, to come after him and attack him and his people. And so he, he assembles all the, the members of his, uh, his, his community, his kind of area, his people, and they meet in the, the courtyards of the temple. And he prays this really beautiful prayer in Second Chronicles 20. And in that prayer he says three things. He says, O oh Lord, are you not the God in heaven? So he understands who God is and and, and he had had the traditional uh, you know, Jewish upbringing, so he understood God to be everywhere, all-knowing, all-powerful. And so he starts there, are you not the God in heaven? Then he says, you know, did you not save us and bring your people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and bring them into the land of milk and honey, this promised land that you're giving, you know, that you gave your people? So are you not the God in heaven? Did you not deliver us and bring your people to this land? Will you not then defend your people? So are you not, did you not, and will you not? And again, last week we focused on what if that is our posture during prayer. So for an example, are you not the God who heals? Have you not healed? Will you not heal today? Like what if that was our posture when we prayed? And then we ended the message last week with what happens when my posture is that? So my prayers are, I am kind of longing for communion and oneness with the Father. What if that is the posture of my heart? Why is God still not doing what I'm asking for? Because haven't you prayed for healing and it didn't, the person didn't receive the healing that we desired for here on earth? Now, of course, they would step into eternal healing, but haven't you prayed for deliverance and, and not received it? I, I certainly have. And doesn't Jesus say, ask anything in my name and I'll do it? Doesn't James say, you have not because you ask not? Doesn't John say, if we ask anything according to God's will, that he hears us? And then we know that we have whatever we ask because we know that he hears us. And that we're praying aligned with God's will. So what happens when we make these prayers and then they don't turn out the way we, we had hoped? We're praying for a, a second job and we lose our other job. We're praying that this gets better and then it gets worse. So what do we do with that? 
that's what we're going to focus on today. I want to pray one more time, and then we'll, we'll dive into, um, I'm sorry, it's a traditional service. We'll dive it into Luke 18, uh, verses 1 through 8. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day again. God, would you speak now and move me out of the way? I pray I'll go as far as you allow me to go and no further. Lord, would you give me the discernment to know when to press in and the discernment to know when to relent? God, I pray I'll go as far as you allow me to go and no further. And I pray above all things you glorify in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Right, so we'll start with Luke. Start with Luke 18. We'll go 1 through 8. We'll stop after the first verse, though, because I have a question for you. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. We'll stop there. What is the point of this parable? You can kind of think about it. You can answer out loud if you, if you want to be bold, which is, which is fine. But it's in, it's in verse 1. That we, that we pray and not give up. So the whole purpose of everything Jesus is about to teach, Luke says, the reason Jesus taught this parable, and if you have a Bible from, the, from the, uh, the pew in front of you, it may say so that Jesus did this so that we wouldn't lose heart. And so the reason that Luke tells us that Jesus is telling this parable is so that we'll pray and not give up, that we'll pray and not grow tired of praying, we'll pray and not lose heart. Then he says, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? One thing I like about this parable is, is, is God is essentially saying, bother me. Do not stop coming to me. So in this parable, Jesus says this, this kind of wicked judge, this judge who neither fears God nor cares about man, if he will give this, this widow, this woman, if he will give her what she's asking for and give her justice, if he will answer her prayers, if he will give her what she's asking for, what she desires, and this man is, is not walking with the Lord, how much more is God telling his children, is the Father telling his children, bother me, do not stop coming to me, continue to seek me, continue to pray to me, bother me, see if you can wear me out with your coming to me. Now I remember as a, as a little kid asking my parents, um, Pretty much from four, first through fourth grade, those were the golden years of my life. Innocent little boy, boy, I was precious. You'd love me. Uh, it's just wide-eyed. Everything was awesome all the time. Like there was, there were no bad days. Like every drink was the this Coke tastes incredible. Every burger, this is in the unbelievable. I was amazed by everything. Only later did I become the callous man you see today and cynical today. But at this time, I was innocent and and boy, I was precious. But I would ask my parents often, hey, can I go to my friend's house? He lived two blocks away. Uh, can I go to his house and play? And oftentimes my parents said yes. Almost every day it was a yes. Yes, go play with your friend. Just come back by dark. We didn't have phones. No one cared about you. you guess, your parents were like, it's awful parents. You just send your kids out with you know, no cell phone. You just come back when it's dark. You know, I don't know how we survived, but we did. We made it. We're here. Well, anyway, there were times when my parents would say no to that. And, of course, me being the inquisitive child I was was well how come why not and then I started trying to make a deal like I'll come back an hour earlier whichever and then it turned into no you know you can't then eventually it turned into what because I said so no you can't because I said so 
But then one step beyond that, because I never stopped there, one step beyond that turned into this. Hey, can I go to, to, to Ben's house? Ask me one more time. Right? That was my parents. That's what they would say. And, of course, we all know they didn't mean literally ask me one more time. What they really meant was if you ask me one more time, like you, you, there's going to be much worse than a no coming your direction. But praise God, he doesn't have that response to his children. He never says, listen, I've, this again, this question again, this prayer again, ask me one more time if I'm going to answer that. Right? Like, praise God, that's never his posture. I'll give you another example. I'm, I've been a father for almost, almost six, uh, or six months, almost seven, going on seven months. Uh, and I asked my wife this too, because I know I'm, I'm guilty of this. I asked her, she uh, admitted she's also guilty of this. And, uh, and I said this at the early service. She, she was there with little, little Graham. And, and I asked, uh, asked her this throughout the week, and so she is guilty of this too. But we have had days, a couple, and again, we're still new at being parents. Not, we haven't perfected it yet, but we're on our way. And um, I'll have a long day at work, and I'll come home. My wife will have a long day at work. She'll come home. But now it's time to feed the baby, give him a bath, read him his book, and then try to put him down. After that failed attempt, you bring him back to the den. Then you try to put him back in the, in the crib. And finally, when he, when he goes down, we'll sit at the table, and, and we'll have our meal, and we'll begin to talk about the day and, and kind of talk about the rest of the week. And then you'll hear a cry through the little baby monitor. And then you hope, and I'm still new at this. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You hope there's not a second or a third cry. Like you just hope he, he just stops and goes right back to sleep. But there's a part of me and, and my wife that this has happened on more than one occasion, a couple dozen occasions for my wife. No, I'm just kidding. But on a couple occasions for both of us, there's been this, this mindset that when the baby starts crying, to have this kind of deep sigh, almost clench your teeth of, you don't need me right now. Now maybe if, you, if you're not a parent, has your phone ever gone off and you look at the person calling you and you just think, oh man, you don't need me. Has your spouse ever called you from the other room? Hey, honey, and you're like, oh, man, just leave me alone for a second. You don't need me to do anything for you. I don't want to run an errand. Just leave me alone for a second. But again, praise God that our Heavenly Father never responds to His children with a deep sigh, with clenched teeth, and says, man, you don't need me. You again? Same thing? Ask me one more time. You don't need me. Just figure it out. Hey, praise God. That the father's response to his children is never that. What about if we, if we could, again, we argue and we could say, well, I've been persistent, just like this widow. I've been pleading with the Lord, still no breakthrough, no healing, no nothing. Circumstance hasn't really, got, hasn't really gotten any better. If God answered to a, given a yes to everything you and I prayed, and asked for, then you and I would, would, would be God. Or at least you and I would have the authority. I mean, think about it. If, if, if God did everything you and I wanted Him to do, we would have the authority. Lord, this person needs to be healed. Hey, Lord, this person needs a job. Hey, hey Lord, this person over here. Hey, Father, this person over here, they need this. Would you heal them? Would you save this person? Would you do that? And now we're telling God what to do. And could you imagine how much depravity you and I would walk in if I just pointed and told God, hey, here's what I see, and if you don't do this, then I guess my morality is just better than yours. Because I would fix this, and since you're not fixing this, I don't know, I don't understand what you're doing. So, 
Could you imagine how much depravity you and I would walk in if we simply told God what to do and he had to do it because we attach to our prayers in Jesus' name. Because doesn't Jesus say, if you ask for anything in my name, so what do we do? In Jesus' name I pray. As if that's some little catchphrase to then force God's hand. Well, I wasn't going to do it till you put my son's name on it. Now I guess I have to. And there would be no reverence for the Most High God if this were the case. No respect for the God of the universe. We would simply be telling God what to do. And as according to 2 Kings 19, Isaiah 37, Ezekiel 29, and Ezekiel 38, we will not put a hook in the nose of God and a bit in his mouth like a horse and then pull him where we want him to go. We will not drag God any direction. He is God. But we don't get to point and say, this is what I want in Jesus' name. And then God ha- and that forced God's hand to act. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Two, or if you kind of break this verse up, there's two things to focus on. Uh, delight yourself in the Lord. So first question is, is our delight in the Lord? Or is it borderline idolatry? It's not the Lord we were delighting in. It's, this, it's an answer to this, and so God is kind of our means to get that. We're, we're not delighting in God. We just want this to be resolved. And that's what we want more than God. So are we delighting in the Lord? And then secondly, He'll give you the desires of your heart if you're delighting in Him. But what if the desires of your heart aren't in line with God's will? Is God, will God give you the desires of your heart if they're not in line with His will? And think about this. How cruel is that of God to give you something that is not His will for you? It doesn't make God loving. It doesn't make a parent good to give the child anything they ask for, knowing this is not a good gift for you. Your desires for this are are not in line with what I desire for you. That would make God cruel to give you something that is not in line with His will, that is ultimately a bad gift for you. In Matthew 6 and Luke 11, we see where Jesus teaches on prayer, and this is the Lord's Prayer. And, and we'll just kind of go through line by line here where Jesus says uh, to the disciples, this then is how you should pray. You start with our Father in heaven. Why does Jesus say Father and not God in heaven? What's this language that Jesus constantly refers to God as, the, as Father? Because with Father and child, when this is the relationship, who has the authority in that relationship? The Father. So in our prayer, we start with our Father in heaven. Where he is, there's perfect peace and shalom. Where we are on earth, it's been fractured because of the sin of Adam, of Adam and Eve. So our Father in heaven, you are in heaven where it's perfect. We are on earth where it's broken, but you are the one in authority. You are the one in control. Then he says, pray, hallowed be your name. In other words, it means to, to hallow a name means to honor a name as holy. So honored is your name, Lord. Holy is your name. Set apart is your name. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is thy name. And then I want to interject this real quick. How many of our prayers, Lincoln, you don't have to answer this out loud, but how many of our prayers, mine included, have nothing to do with God's name being hallowed? Has nothing to do with God's name being glorified? I'll give you an example. Lord, will you help me find a parking spot? Lord, will you help my team win? Will you help us win the Iron Bowl? God, will you fight for my team? God, would you give me a job that pays more money? 
Again, you can have it. There's nothing wrong with making money. Make as much as you can. Be generous with it. There's nothing wrong with it. If your desire is to make more so you can be more generous, but if it's to, I want to make more so that I can live up here, what, does that have anything to do with, with God being glorified? And I'm not saying that these are sinful, wrong prayers. I'm not even going to tell you to stop praying those prayers. I pray prayers for parking spots all the time, especially if I'm at the Iron Bowl. But my, but my point is, how many of our prayers have nothing to do with God's name being hallowed, being regarded as holy? Then Jesus goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Again, you're in earth, or you're in heaven, we're on earth. But pray that earth look like heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Again, this goes back to daily needs being met. And we see in Exodus 16 with the manna, the quail. And forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then some manuscripts include that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So a question to that last line is, what part of yours, of God's being the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? What part of forever does it mean that it's our glory and that it's our kingdom? What part of forever, the kingdom, honor, glory, power, it all belonging to God, what part of forever does it actually become about us? And it certainly doesn't mean stop praying. But I just want to ask, are our prayers inwardly focused or are they about the kingdom of God? If God answered every one of the prayers that you're praying right now in this season of your life, would it change the world or would it just change yours? Would it just change mine? Would anybody else be affected if, if, by my prayers, if God said yes to everything I've prayed the last week? Would the world look any different? Or would just my world, my, my, my house look different? My kingdom look a little bit different? Are our prayers selfish? We see with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying and he's sweating drops of blood. And he finally says to, uh, to the Father, you know, hey, not my will. You know what I desire, but it's not about me. But I pray your will be accomplished. Your will be done, not mine but your will be done. We see in Matthew 7 and Luke 11, uh, this is a familiar passage where Jesus is teaching ultimately on the Holy Spirit when he says, you fathers, though you are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But before that, Jesus says this, which of you fathers, if your son asks for bread, how many of you would give him a stone? If your son asks for a, a fish, how many of you would give him a snake? If he asked for an egg, how many of you would give him a scorpion? But here's my question. What if the son asks for a snake? Would the father let the son have a snake if the son asks for it? If you have a child and your child says, hey, I see a rattlesnake in the grass. It looks kind of cool. Can I, can I have it? Can I play with it? No, you cannot. Why not? I just want to play with it. I've seen them on movies I've watched. I want to go, some of them talk in the movies I've seen. Let's go, I'm going to go play with it. The father would say, no, 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 absolutely not. This is not good for you. This is a bad idea. This will end poorly for you. This is not good. Why are you then trying to rob me of joy? Clearly I want this. You know this would make me happy. Why would you say no to me having this? Because a loving father does not give bad gifts to his children. What if the son asked for a snake? Would the father give it to him? Absolutely not. Because a father does not give bad gifts to his children. Again, imagine how cruel that would be of a father to say, absolutely, son, 
go see if it can sink its teeth in your arm. That's a good idea. Go, go play with something harmful. So how many of our prayers, although not necessarily wicked or wrong, how many of our prayers, if God answered that with a yes, would end poorly for us? Now, we don't know that, and so God just says no. Can we trust that God's no is the best thing for us? We pray for healing, and He doesn't heal. Can we trust that somehow His name will be glorified? Can you glorify His name despite the fact that maybe He doesn't heal on this side of eternity the way He promised? If He doesn't give the deliverance as He promises to give us deliverance, if He doesn't give you that deliverance from that sin or that habitual thing you're struggling with, if He doesn't deliver you from that today when you pray it, can your faith remain steadfast in Him even if He says no or wait? Are we worshiping God or are we disputing with Him? Well, if, we, if, if our hearts ever say, if our minds ever say, I do not see how you're going to do this. I do not see what you're doing here. Well, then we're certainly not worshiping. We are certainly disputing. Who do you think you are? We're not worshiping. We're disputing with Him. Proverbs 3, 5. We'll kind of end with this before we move into communion. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Harvey preached on this uh, a couple weeks ago. Think about how freeing of a verse that, that second line is. The second half of that verse. Lean not on your own understanding. Again, praise God that God is on record for saying, do not lean, do not trust in what you have the capacity to understand. Trust my ways are higher than yours, that my thoughts are higher than yours. This isn't me talking, this would be you know, from God talking. But lean not on your own understanding. That's so freeing of a verse. I don't understand why you're doing this, God. We don't have to. I just, I just hope and pray that if God's going to press us like, like you would grapes to get wine from, to get juice from, I just hope that when God presses on us that it's sweet wine and not a bitter wine. If you're offended by the wine reference, that's an Oswald Chambers reference. I, didn't like, I wish I came up with that because I like it, but that's an Oswald Chambers reference because he always constantly talks about are we willing to be broken bread and poured out wine for the kingdom of God? So again, if God was going to press on us like you would grapes for wine, would, your, would God pressing on you through circumstances, would that result in a sweet wine or a bitter wine that would impact other people? So when I pray, why does it feel like something is, is happening? You know, can, have you ever prayed? I certainly have. Why are you doing nothing, God? I've certainly prayed that. Then I was heavily convicted several years ago in reading John 5, 17, where Jesus says, my father is always at his word. So this idea that I was thinking of, hey, God, why are you doing nothing? Impossible. Jesus has already said God is always at work. He's always doing something. And what is he doing? He's always advancing his kingdom. He's always about his name being hallowed. All of our prayers should be focused on Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, yes. And your will be done, yes. But you know, to you be the glory. Hallowed be your name. Holy, honored be your name. So in our circumstances now, are we more inwardly focused? I don't understand why you're doing this. We're disputing with him. Or can we say, I don't understand this. And this hurts. And this may hurt forever. But if you are glorified in this, then hallowed be your name. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a, a God who says to his children, bother me, come to me, see if you can wear me out with coming to me. 
And God, I thank you that you are always more willing to listen than we are to speak to you. God, I pray that we don't give up in our prayers. Lord, when we don't understand something, God, I pray that we can have comfort, that we don't have to understand, we don't have to have it all figured out. God, I do thank you that you, that you don't file everything under mystery, that you do give us answers for why sometimes you say yes, why sometimes you say no, why sometimes you say wait and be still. In the waiting and being still, God, in the, in the seasons of no, I pray that we can get to the point where we say, to you be the glory and hallowed be thy name. And as always, I pray above all things you're glorified. In Christ's name I pray, amen.